the eyes of the nation, the eyes of history, the eyes of the Founding Fathers are upon us. History will be our final judge. Will Senators rise to the occasion? I doubt it. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. It is a big day. It is an historic day. Why? Well, just one reason is that one year from today, voters willing, we will have a new president. Again. Voters willing, not God willing, though, if you've got a God you'd like to call into the matter, I'm all happy, happy for the help, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Me as well. Anyone we can get from uh, help here. Uh, we have uh, now made it three years into this American nightmare. Three years. We've made it through so far. We're here uh, now, hopefully for the last mile again. Voters willing, uh, and this last mile could be a doozy. So buckle up, Buttercup. That is, uh, of course, mostly a pep talk to me, Desi Doyen, <laughs> but I thought it might help someone out there as well. We are still in this mess, but we are at least in it together, and we will make it out of it together. Uh, voters willing. All right, there's that. We were preempted for the Martin Luther King Day holiday on Monday on our flagship station KPFK out here in Los Angeles, so I thought I might get a day off. Silly me. What I did get, however, was at least uh, a, a bit of time to be interviewed by the CBS News local affiliate station here in Los Angeles regarding the new dangerous, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems uh, that we have been talking about over the past week or more that is failing its certification tests and yet is likely to be certified for use in the upcoming March 3rd Super Tuesday primary out here in Los Angeles County. 
the nation's largest voting jurisdiction for all of its five and a half million voters who choose to vote at the polling place on Election Day or uh, on or in early voting, but will not uh, for the first time in this in state history be able to vote on a hand marked paper ballot suddenly. Some of the corporate media outlets are interested in this as we barrel towards the March 3rd Super Tuesday primary. And, of course, voters will not be able to use a hand-marked paper ballot out here in Los Angeles if Secretary of State Alex Padilla certifies this system despite its failing to meet more than 40 California voting system standards, as discovered by independent testers uh, who have been looking at it during the certification process. But I'm uh, glad that local news outlets are finally noticing after we have been in uh, sort of the wilderness trying to point all of this out, point out this pending nightmare. Uh, We will let you know if CBS runs their planned piece in the coming days and if time allows. And I don't know that it will, frankly, uh, with what we're about to get to. So if time allows, I may have some more on that a bit later. We we will definitely have time for Desi Doyen, however, and the latest Green News report today. Yay! You're welcome, (laughs) no matter what, right? Yes, please. Well, we'll see. Uh, But yes, no matter what. Uh, Anyway, turning to the mess on the East Coast right now, the historic mess in Washington, D.C., hey, Did you hear the president of the United States is undergoing an impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate? Yes. That's going on to consider his long overdue removal from office. Well, that trial got underway on Tuesday, finally, sort of, with mostly a trial about holding a trial. I will get to all of that in in a moment here Uh, in what is uh, turning out to be special coverage that we have uh, no choice for, actually, given everything that's going on. Well, it is historic. Yes, it is. And we will be, uh, we'll see, we may be, uh, here's the thing. We don't know how to cover this. Nobody does. Uh, One of the reasons we don't know how to cover it is because there's been so few presidential uh, impeachments in history, this being the third one ever, the third presidential impeachment trial, But also because Mitch McConnell has held pretty close to his vest exactly how this thing is going to play out. So all of us who cover these things have sort of been on, I don't know if pins and needles is the right word. Tenterhooks. Waiting at the last minute for McConnell to reveal whatever process he's going to do so then we can make coverage decisions, which is very difficult to do at the last minute. It is. Which is McConnell's intention, I believe, in order to make it difficult to mount any kind of defense or even a public protest against this kind of monkey wrenching that and rigging that McConnell is intentionally putting forth. And it is that uh, monkey wrenching and uh, rigging that we will get to in a bit here. Uh, But I do want to hit one other very uh, quick point here. You may have noticed there was a large demonstration in Virginia on the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday for gun rights. Never mind uh, the idea that, uh, you know, oh, MLK Day, that'll be the perfect day to march in favor of guns. From a guy who was assassinated by a gun. But there were thousands of folks who showed up to uh, protest against the new Virginia State Democratic Legislative Majorities who were elected last November and their plans to institute long overdue gun safety regulations in the state of Virginia, the great commonwealth of Virginia, which has had notoriously lax gun laws under its long gerrymandered, now corrected 
legislative maps uh, that had locked in Republican majorities in the state House of Representatives and the uh, state Senate, but no more. Now that there are fairer maps to vote on, voters have decided they want Democrats in charge of both houses. So among the many things that uh, the Democrats have promised is common sense gun legislation. But of course, many gun rights advocates apparently oppose common sense. So they showed up guns in hand on Monday. Uh, at the state capitol in Virginia, furious the Democratic majorities in the legislature were now uh, exercising their Democratic majority rights to, you know, pass laws and stuff. Of course, the protesters were furious about Democrats taking all of their guns from them via these extreme new radical laws that take away all of their constitutional rights. But yeah, funny thing, uh, as Nate Lerner, a uh, progressive Democratic organizer and activist, noted as the protests were playing out, Virginia's extreme new gun laws that all of those armed extremists are protesting, he tweeted, background checks, limit on the number of handgun purchases per month. You'd only be able to purchase one handgun per month under these new extreme constitutional laws. So you can buy, I guess, 12 handguns a year. It's an outrage. It's tyranny. Communities uh, would also be able to ban guns from specific events or venues if those communities liked, you know, small government and all of that, local government. Also, police would be able to take guns from those who are deemed a risk to others by the courts. That is it. That is this extreme unconstitutional uh, madness that apparently Democrats in Virginia are uh, are on about that brought out thousands and thousands of protesters claiming that Democrats are taking away their rights and, of course, uh, leading to a tweet from the president of the United States saying as much, saying that Democrats are going to take your guns away, vote Democratic, even as thousands were wandering around with guns at the state capitol in Virginia. Donald Trump was out there making it worse and more dangerous on uh, on on Twitter. And can I just mention that if this had been thousands and thousands of African-American men mm. walking around with AR-15s mm. and other kinds of guns, I don't think it would have gone over quite as well with the police. You had to play the race card, didn't you, Desi Doyle? Yes, because that's how it actually works in America. Well, that is what all the hullabaloo was about. Uh, those uh, pretty common sense laws that even the majority of Republicans and, yes, NRA members actually support. That's what all the hubbub was about in those uh, protests on Monday in Virginia, which, by the way, included uh, the arrests of uh, beforehand of several white uh, nationalists who were actual extremists who were allegedly planning violence for the protest, which otherwise appears to have gone off peacefully. Just wanted to make that note before it gets uh, lost to time and the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump uh, concerning those protests over the weekend, over the holiday weekend in Virginia. So uh, on that note, uh, you may have heard over the weekend, uh, Trump's got some new defense attorneys to help him out in his Senate impeachment trial, including noted TV attorney 
Alan Dershowitz, who apparently has been hired by the uh, by Team Trump to make the case that there are no crimes involved in what Donald Trump did for which he is now being impeached. No treason, no bribery, no high crimes or misdemeanors. And therefore, even if even if everything in the Democrats case is actually true, Dershowitz was out arguing over the past several days, there is no there is no crime there, and therefore tr Donald Trump cannot be impeached. This seems to be at the heart of the Republican uh, uh, case in defense of Donald Trump. Now, never mind that just last week the uh, Government Accountability Office came out with a ruling that found that Trump's withholding of military assistance as appropriated uh, via a bipartisan vote in Congress from Ukraine Never mind that the GAO found that indeed, say it with me, that was a crime and a violation of the Impoundment Control Act. Never mind that. Apparently Dershowitz is uh, choosing to ignore that when he makes the case, as he has been doing across a whole bunch of, uh, a bunch of media on uh, Sunday. This is the case he was making. You needed proof of an actual crime. It needn't be a statutory crime, but it has to be criminal behavior, criminal in nature. Therefore, he argues the impeachment of Donald Trump is uh, fraudulent. It is not a, a, an impeachable case at all because you have to have an actual crime in the articles of impeachment. But during the 1999 impeachment trial of President William Jefferson Clinton, the uh, the Dersh had this to say about it as an attorney now for Donald Trump's impeachment. It certainly doesn't have to be a crime if you have somebody who completely corrupts the office of president and who abuses trust and who poses great danger to our liberty. You don't need a technical crime. Mm -hmm. There you go. So you actually, you need a crime, apparently, if you want to impeach a Republican, but for uh, a Democrat to impeach him, I, you don't technically need a crime, he told us, Alan Dershowitz did back in 1998. Okay, so uh, this is the kind of team that uh, Trump is assembling. Also over the weekend, the Democratic House impeachment managers submitted their 111-page opening brief to the U.S. Senate and its presiding judge, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts, and the White House, on, uh, on their behalf of Donald Trump, submitted their six-page answer to the 111-page opening brief, from which I would like to read you in part from the uh, six-page answer, uh, just to give you an idea of what it seems to be the entirety of the president's case so far in this matter. It begins this way. The articles of impeachment submitted by House Democrats are a dangerous attack on the right of the American people to freely choose their president. This is a brazen and unlawful attempt to overturn the results of the 2016 election and interfere with the 2020 election. So see what they're doing there is saying that this overturns the results of 2016, which, by the way, this does not, even if Donald Trump was removed from office. Unfortunately, it doesn't overturn the results. There would still be a Republican in office. Mike Pence would take his place and all of the laws and uh, crappy judges that have been approved and everything else. Those would all stay in place. So, no, this is not an attempt to nullify the last election. 
nor is it an attempt to interfere with the 2020 election, which, which is what Donald Trump is actually being accused of and what he appears to have actually done or at least tried to do in uh, asking Ukraine to dig up dirt against uh, who Donald Trump thought would be his uh, his opponent in it's 2020. The, it's the I know you are, but what am I defense? Precisely. Uh, it goes on to say the highly partisan and reckless obsession with impeaching the president began the day he was inaugurated and continues to this day. The articles of impeachment are constitutionally invalid on their face. They fail to allege any crime or violation of law whatsoever. Never mind what Alan Dershowitz, the president's lawyer, had to say about that just a few years ago. Uh, they fail to allege any crime, uh, let alone high crimes and misdemeanors, as required by the Constitution. They are the result of a lawless process that violated basic due process and fundamental fairness. Nothing in these articles could permit even beginning to consider removing a duly elected president or warrant null nullifying an election which this does not do, and subverting the will of the American people. The articles of impeachment now before the Senate are an affront to the Constitution of the United States, our democratic institutions, which I know Donald Trump is very concerned about, and the American people. The articles themselves and the rigged process that brought them up, uh, that brought them here, are a transparently political act by House Democrats. They debase the grave power of impeachment and the solemn responsibility that power entails. And you know how solemnly Donald Trump takes his uh, role as president. Uh, they must be rejected, they argue. Uh, the House process violated every precedent and every principle of fairness governing impeaching, uh, impeachment inquiries for more than 150 years. They didn't. Even so, all, uh, all that House Democrats have succeeded in proving is that the president did absolutely nothing wrong. President Trump categorically and unequivocally denies each and every allegation in both articles of impeachment. Uh, the uh, the six page letter concludes this way in order to preserve our constitutional structure of government to reject the poisonous partisanship that the framers warned against to ensure one party political impeachment vendettas do not become the new normal and to vindicate the will of the American people. The Senate must reject both articles of impeachment. And I, you'll like this part does. In the end, this entire process is nothing more than a dangerous attack on the American people themselves and their fundamental right to vote. So in other words, they got nothing. They got nothing. And he's pretending to be a voting rights advocate, I guess, at this point with his response. And so they they didn't rebut anything. They'll, they... They're concerned about uh, the point I wanted to make. There is his concern about uh, the right to vote. That <laughs> is at the bottom line, literally the bottom line of his six page defense to which uh, the uh, Democrats submitted a nine page response and claiming, of course, uh, as they did in their original 111 page uh, brief that uh, Donald Trump jeopardized our national security and our democratic self-governance and used his presidential powers to orchestrate a cover up of uh, of that action when he tried to uh, basically uh, cheat, as they are alleging, on the 2020 election. 
The House Democrats' response came shortly after Trump's legal team urged the Senate to swiftly and roundly condemn the articles of impeachment. It called them uh, flimsy in their own brief that they filed to the Senate on Monday. And uh, they also called the uh, uh, the Democrats did uh, to hear from witnesses As the Senate, they say, has done in every impeachment trial in American history, it especially should hear from witnesses that the president blocked from testifying in the U.S. House, according to the House impeachment managers. And it was that call for witnesses, as has been the case when they've had witnesses in every single impeachment trial in U.S. history, for presidents and judges and others alike, that uh, the proceedings largely opened on Tuesday with this call for witnesses in the U.S. Senate with presentations for and against Mitch McConnell's rules resolution for the trial and how it will proceed, which he released finally only late on Monday night while folks were away for the MLK holiday uh, protesting for gun rights or whatever it was. Um, That long-awaited resolution sets the initial parameters for how the process will uh, will play out. And it turns out that after several weeks of claiming that they would be the exact same procedures that were approved 100 to nothing for the impeachment trial of Bill Clinton, turns out that wasn't actually true. Who could have guessed? Before the uh, Tuesday trial arguments even got underway, Democrats slammed the four-page resolution, which they said would place time limits on arguments and departs heavily from Clinton's impeachment trial of 1999. In fact, uh, what it lays out is that each uh, the House impeachment managers and the president's lawyers would each have 24 hours each to make their opening argument cases, two days each to use their 24 hours. Following those arguments, senators would then have 16 hours to ask questions in the chamber, followed by two hours of arguments each by the House impeachment managers and the president's lawyers. What they will be asking questions about, however, or what the House managers will even be arguing, uh, still remains unclear because the vote to allow evidence from the House won't even happen until, if I'm understanding this, until after Both sides have made their opening arguments. It would also allow for a motion to dismiss the case outright after those opening arguments have been made. Uh, And then finally, they would be allowed to vote on whether witnesses would be allowed. And then they would be uh, allowed to vote on each witness uh, one by one, I guess. Now, the idea that everything, these 24 hours of arguments would be crammed into two days, unlike in two days in the Trump impeachment, unlike three days under the Clinton impeachment, led to quite a few unhappy people over the past uh, several hours after uh, Mitch McConnell's resolution was released. Democrats argued it would leave them arguing their case in the middle of the night and into the next morning. Since it doesn't start each day until 1 p.m., that means if you want to do 12 hours in a day, you won't finish until 1 a.m. Well, it wasn't only Democrats who were outraged by that notion. Journalists and TV pundits were also, including one who knows a thing or two about impeachment proceedings. That would be Carl Bernstein, who unleashed on McConnell with a new nickname that almost instantly began trending on Twitter last night. Let's look at the big picture, which is this is the most important moment for the Republican Party since the censure of Joe McCarthy and the impeachment and resignation 
of Richard Nixon, in which Republicans became great heroes and patriots. Now we're looking at Midnight Mitch and the so-called world's greatest deliberative body really embracing a cover-up that is there for all to see. That's what this is about. It's about preventing information from becoming known and seen by the American public. Other impeachments, including Andrew Johnson, including Clinton, there has been no problem about knowing the truth of the facts. We still have a factual problem here because the president and those who work for him and Mitch McConnell have impeded the facts from the beginning. Now, apparently that moniker, Midnight Mitch, uh, troubled McConnell enough that by the time his resolution was read aloud at the start of the trial, mind you, that Midnight Mitch began trending on Twitter almost immediately. So uh, by the time the uh, resolution was read aloud at the start of the trial Tuesday, he had been shamed at least into restoring the three-day allowance for those 24 hours of opening arguments for each side. In other words, he, he caved. From the jump, Mitch McConnell, yes, caved. He submitted a handwritten amended version of the resolution, so the change must have come just before the trial began at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Pressure works. And right after, uh, he likely heard an earful, at least the pressure from his own caucus uh, during a pre-trial caucus lunch that was just before and appears to have forced him to make that change at least. But as to witnesses on that, he's not bending. And apparently neither are the 53 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Let's take a quick break and we will get to that argument and more on the broadcast, our special coverage of the historic impeachment of Donald John Trump. We'll continue. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Ready, please. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer called Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's resolution for the rules of this uh, Senate trial, impeachment trial, nothing short of a national disgrace. He said any senator that votes for the McConnell resolution will be voting to hide information and evidence from the American people. Well, of course, that is the point, Chuck. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. It is the first official day of the Senate impeachment trial over whether it will be an actual trial at all or a uh, complete whitewash of what actually happened as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and uh, Donald Trump and at least so far all of the Republicans in the Senate uh, seem to oppose. They seem to oppose having an actual trial. 
The day began with the introduction of McConnell's rules resolution, changed at the last minute after he received considerable pushback over his attempt to jam 24 hours of opening arguments into just two days for each side, which would result in the uh, trial going until 1 a.m. each night, uh, since it only begins at 1 p.m. each day after the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, finishes his day job at the court each morning. So McConnell uh, changed that, actually got some pushback and actually changed it to allow for three days for those 24 hours worth of arguments for each side, opening arguments. But he was not bending when it came to witnesses, at least not so far. White House counsel, uh, not Trump counsel, mind you, in theory, but White House counsel Pat Cipollone made his opening statement in support of the McConnell resolution on the rules on behalf of Donald Trump and in support of that uh, resolution to forestall the decision about whether witnesses would even be allowed in this trial. Cipollone's remarks were very brief. They have delayed bringing this impeachment to this House for 33 days, 33 days to this body. And it's time to start with this trial. It's a fair process. They will have the opportunity to stand up and make their opening statement. They will get 24 hours to do that. Then the president's attorneys will have a chance to respond. After that, all of you will have 16 hours to ask whatever questions you have of either side. Once that's finished and you have all of that information, we will proceed to the question of witnesses and some of the more difficult questions that will come before this body. We are in favor of this. We believe that once you hear those initial presentations, the only conclusion will be that the president has done absolutely nothing wrong and that these articles of impeachment do not begin to approach the standard required by the Constitution. And in fact, they themselves will establish nothing beyond those articles. You look at those articles alone and you will determine that there is absolutely no case. So we respectfully ask you to adopt this resolution so that we can begin with this process. It is long past time to start this proceeding and we are here today to do it. Now see the emphasis there was on if you look at those articles alone, mm -hmm. which is very much what they hope you will do. Don't look at anything else. Don't look at any other witnesses. And yes, don't even look at the evidence developed in the U.S. House, which they would later have to vote on uh, as far as uh, allowing it in, in the Senate trial. Now, uh, Southpaw, who is a New York attorney and a longtime excellent Twitter follow, uh, when McConnell released his resolution, said that uh, the proposal, quote, inverts the typical procedures with some bizarre effects. First and foremost, the advocates would be arguing and being questioned by the Senate in the absence of any official record. Unclear what they'd say or be allowed to cite and refer to because, again, the Evidence developed in the U.S. House is not even being presented yet before these 16 hours of questioning from the senators. 
He said, second, to the extent there are witnesses, uh, their deposition and testimony would come after all of the argument and questioning. Why would it come after? The advocates wouldn't have the benefit of that testimony in their arguments, and the process would insert several weeks between arguments and deliberations, according to the resolution that they are uh, debating and uh, amending even as we go to air um, in this U.S. Senate today. Now, lead House impeachment manager Adam Schiff's response to Cipollone was, uh, or Cipollone, I think, uh, was was not quite as terse uh, as the uh, White House argument was. Schiff spent uh, his full hour explaining why the notion that witnesses would not be called was absurd and uh, unprecedented for such a trial. Now, we can't play the full hour here, of course, but I do want to play an extended portion of his opening to give you a sense of his argument and how much, uh, frankly, better prepared, at least so far, the Democrats seem to be in this historic trial than those representing the president. Here is lead House impeachment manager Adam Schiff. Mr. Chief Justice, senators and counsel for the president, the House managers on behalf of the House of Representatives rise in opposition to Leader McConnell's resolution. Let me begin by summarizing why. Last week we came before you to present the articles of impeachment against the president of the United States for only the third time in our history. Those articles charge President Donald John Trump with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The misconduct set out in those articles is the most serious ever charged against a president. The first article, abuse of power, charges the president with soliciting a foreign power to help him cheat in the next election. Moreover, it alleges, and we will prove that he sought to coerce Ukraine into helping him cheat by withholding official acts, two official acts, a meeting that the new president of Ukraine desperately sought with President Trump at the White House to show the world and the Russians in particular that the Ukrainian president had a good relationship with his most important patron, the president of the United States. And even more perniciously, President Trump illegally withheld almost $400 million in taxpayer-funded military assistance to Ukraine, a nation at war with our Russian adversary to compel Ukraine to help him cheat in the election. Astonishingly, the president's trial brief filed yesterday contends that even if this conduct is proved, that there is nothing that the House or this Senate may do about it. It is the president's apparent belief that under Article 2, he can do anything he wants, no matter how corrupt, outfitted in gaudy legal clothing. And yet, when the founders wrote the impeachment clause, they had precisely this type of misconduct in mind. Conduct that abuses the power of his office for personal benefit, that undermines our national security, that invites foreign interference in our democratic process of an election. It is the trifecta of constitutional misconduct justifying impeachment. In Article 2, the president is charged with other misconduct that would likewise have alarmed the founders. The full, complete, and absolute obstruction of a co-equal branch of government, the Congress, during the course of its impeachment investigation into the president's own misconduct. This is every bit as destructive of our constitutional order 
as the misconduct charged in the first article. If a president can obstruct his own investigation, if he can effectively nullify a power the Constitution gives solely to Congress, indeed the ultimate power, the ultimate power the Constitution gives to prevent presidential misconduct, then the president places himself beyond accountability, above the law, cannot be indicted, cannot be impeached. It makes him a monarch, the very evil against which our Constitution and the balance of powers it carefully laid out was designed to guard against. Shortly, the trial on these charges will begin, and when it has concluded, you'll be asked to make several determinations. Did the House prove that the President abused his power by seeking to coerce a foreign nation to help him cheat in the next election? And did he obstruct the Congress in its investigation into his own misconduct by ordering his agencies and officers to cooperate, refuse to cooperate, in any way, to refuse to testify, to refuse to answer subpoenas for documents and through every other means. And if the House has proved its case, and we believe the evidence will not be seriously contested, you will have to answer at least one other critical question. Does the commission of these high crimes and misdemeanors require the conviction and removal of the president? We believe that it does and that the Constitution requires that it be so, or the power of impeachment must be deemed a relic or a casualty to partisan times and the American people left unprotected against a president who would abuse his power for the very purpose of corrupting the only other method of accountability, our elections themselves. And so you will vote to find the president guilty or not guilty, to find his conduct impeachable or not impeachable. But I would submit to you, these are not the most important decisions you will make. How can that be? How can any decision you will make be more important than guilt or innocence, than removing the president or not removing the president? I believe the most important decision in this case is the one you will make today. The most important question is the question you must answer today. Will the president and the American people get a fair trial? Will there be a fair trial? I submit that this is an even more important question than how you vote on guilt or innocence because whether we have a fair trial will determine whether you have a basis to render a fair and impartial verdict. It is foundational. The structure upon which every other decision you will make must rest. If you only get to see part of the evidence, if you only allow one side or the other a chance to present their full case, your verdict will be predetermined by the bias in the proceeding. If the defendant is not allowed to introduce evidence of his innocence, it's not a fair trial. So too for the prosecution. If the House cannot call witnesses or introduce documents and evidence, it's not a fair trial. It's not really a trial at all. Americans all over the country are watching us right now. And imagine they're on grand jury or they're on jury duty. Imagine that the judge walks into that courtroom and says that she's been talking to the defendant. And at the defendant's request, the judge has agreed not to let the prosecution call any witnesses or introduce any documents. 
The judge and the defendant have agreed that the prosecutor may only read to the jury the dry transcripts of the grand jury proceedings. That's it. Has anyone on jury duty in this country ever heard a judge describe such a proceeding and call it a fair trial? Of course not. That's not a fair trial. It's a mockery of a trial. Under the Constitution, this proceeding, the one we are in right now, is the trial. This is not the appeal from a trial. You are not appellate court judges. Okay, one of you is. And unless this trial is going to be different from every other impeachment trial or any other kind of trial for that matter, you must allow the prosecution and defense, the House manager and the president's lawyers, to call relevant witnesses. You must subpoena documents that the president has blocked, but which bear on his guilt or innocence. You must impartially do justice as your oath requires. So what does a fair trial look like in the context of impeachment? The short answer is it looks like every other trial. First, the resolution should allow the House managers to obtain documents that have been withheld. First, not last, because the documents will inform the decision about which witnesses are most important to call. And when the witnesses are called, the documentary evidence will be available and must be available to question them with. Any other order makes no sense. Next, the resolution should allow the House managers to call their witnesses. And then the president should be allowed to do the same and any rebuttal witnesses. And when the evidentiary portion of the trial ends, the parties argue the case. You deliberate and render a verdict. If there's a dispute as to whether a particular witness is relevant or material to the charges brought, under the Senate rules, the Chief Justice would rule on the issue of materiality. Why should this trial be different than any other trial? The short answer is it shouldn't. But Leader McConnell's resolution would turn the trial process on its head. His resolution requires the House to prove its case without witnesses, without documents, and only after it's done will such questions be entertained with no guarantee that any witnesses or any documents will be allowed even then. That process makes no sense. So what is the harm of waiting until the end of the trial, of kicking the can down the road on the question of documents and witnesses? Besides the fact it's completely backwards, trial first, then evidence, besides the fact that the documents would inform the decision on which witnesses and help in their questioning, the harm is this. You will not have any of the evidence the president continues to conceal throughout most or all of the trial. And although the evidence against the president is already overwhelming, you may never know the full scope of the president's misconduct or those around him. And neither will the American people. The charges here involve the sacrifice of our national security at home and abroad and a threat to the integrity of the next election. If there are additional remedial steps that need to be taken after the president's conviction, the American people must know about it. But if, as a public already jaded by experience has come to suspect, this resolution is merely the first step of an effort orchestrated by the White House to rush the trial, hide the evidence, and render a fast verdict, or worse, a fast dismissal, to make the president's go away as quickly as possible, to cover up his misdeeds, 
then the American people will be deprived of a fair trial and may never learn just how deep the corruption of this administration goes or what other risks to our security and elections remain hidden. The harm will also endure for this body. If the Senate allows the President to get away with such extensive obstruction, it will affect the Senate's power of subpoena and oversight just as much as the House. The Senate's ability to conduct oversight will be beholden to the desires of this President and future Presidents, whether he or she decides they want to cooperate with a Senate investigation or another impeachment inquiry and trial. Our system of checks and balances will be broken. Presidents will become accountable to no one. Now, it has been reported that Leader McConnell has already got the votes to pass this resolution, the text of which we did not see until last night and which has been changed even moments ago. And they say that Leader McConnell is a very good vote counter. Nonetheless, I hope that he's wrong. And not just because I think this process, the process contemplated by this resolution is backwards and designed with the result in mind, and that the result is not a fair trial. I hope that he's wrong because whatever senators may have said or pledged or committed has been superseded by an event of constitutional dimension. You have all now sworn an oath. Not to each other, not to your legislative leadership, not to the managers or even to the Chief Justice. You have sworn an oath to do impartial justice. That oath binds you. That oath supersedes all else. Many of you in the Senate and many of us in the House have made statements about the President's conduct. Or this trial, or this motion, or expectations. None of that matters now. That is all in the past. Nothing matters now but the oath to do impartial justice. And that oath requires a fair trial, fair to the president and fair to the American people. But is that really possible? Or as the founders feared, has factionalism or an excessive partisanship made that now impossible? One way to find out what a fair trial should look like, devoid of partisan consideration, is to ask yourselves, how would you structure the trial if you didn't know what your party was? And you didn't know what the party of the president was? Would it make sense to you to have the trial first and then decide on witnesses and evidence later? Would that be fair to both sides? I have to think that your answer would be no. Let me be blunt. Let me be very blunt. Right now, a great many, perhaps even most Americans, do not believe there will be a fair trial. They don't believe that the Senate will be impartial. They believe that the result is pre-cooked. The president will be acquitted. Not because he is innocent. He is not. But because the senators will vote by party and he has the votes the votes to prevent the evidence from coming out, the votes to make sure the public never sees it. The American people want a fair trial. They want to believe 
Their system of government is still capable of rising to the occasion. They want to believe that we can rise above party and do what's best for the country, but a great many Americans don't believe that will happen. Let's prove them wrong. Let's prove them wrong. How? By convicting the president? No. Not by conviction alone. By convicting him if the House proves its case, and only if the House proves its case, but by letting the House prove its case, by letting the House call witnesses, by letting the House obtain documents, by letting the House decide how to present its own case and not deciding it for us, in sum, by agreeing to a fair trial. Oh, silly Adam Schiff, a fair trial. That was uh, House impeachment manager Adam Schiff in his opening statement at the uh, U.S. Senate trial, impeachment trial of Donald Trump, arguing for a real trial. Yes, the entire day has been an argument uh, about whether we can even have a real trial. It is a trial over whether we'll have a trial. (laughs) Well, because, you know, nothing says innocent like not letting anyone testify. Now, some good news I think we learned along the way. We're going to have video allowed. They have been showing uh, video clips of Donald Trump, of the uh, testimony in the U.S. House. Of uh, I even saw Lev Parnas, his interview with Rachel Maddow. That was uh, uh, cited by the House impeachment managers uh, as they moved forward and as they brought forward amendments to subpoena documents from the White House. They argue that for several hours before that uh, vote failed. The amendment to uh, McConnell's resolution, it failed 57, I'm sorry, 53 to 47. In other words, uh, all of the Republicans voted to table that amendment. All of the uh, Democrats uh, called to pick it up there uh, as we go to air. The argument is underway for subpoenaing documents from the State Department And uh, those two have been ordered blocked by the White House throughout this entire procedure. Don't know how that uh, vote is going to turn out, but if the previous vote is any indication, all of the Republicans will vote against having real evidence and documents, at least right now, included in this, uh, which I almost want to put in quotes, included in this trial in the U.S. Senate. Okay, that's where we are today for now. At this moment, at this minute, at this hour, where this goes from here, well, we'll uh, figure it out as we go, as we move forward, and uh, hope you will join us as we do. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. That we always have time for. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, Desi Doyen. Yep. 
Never mind saving the country. What about saving the world? Let's do that. Yeah, we got time for that in our latest Green News Report. New study, unfortunately, uh, bears even more bad news if there can't be enough bad news for the planet. The amount of heat we've put into the world's oceans over the past 25 years equals 3.6 billion Hiroshima bombs, according to a new report. We're going to see a a much bigger shift in capital than we currently uh, anticipate. Climate change, a growing concern for corporations and banks. Plus, to quote one federal judge, this is no ordinary lawsuit. Federal appeals court dismisses Climate Kids lawsuit. All of those explosive stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The seventh debate just ended. Six candidates, all of them white. The only person happy about this was Greta Thunberg. Yeah, because the stage was so white, it reflected sunlight back into the atmosphere. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, explosive news from this new ocean warming uh, heat report that just boggles the mind. (laughs) Yes, yes, it does. The report finds that 2019 was the warmest year on record for the world's oceans, going back to at least 1950. That's according to a new study in the journal Advances in Atmospheric Sciences. The last five years were the hottest five years ever recorded in the oceans, and the past 10 years were also the top 10 hottest years ever recorded in the ocean. And the rate of ocean warming is accelerating. Now, the oceans absorb about 93% of the planet's excess heat that's trapped by greenhouse gases from human activity. It's the equivalent of dropping four to five atomic bombs into the ocean every second, day and night, for the past 25 years. Now, I heard that statistic. I thought it couldn't be true. I looked it up. I looked into it. And yeah, that appears to be it. Four or five Hiroshima bombs every second, every day, every night, every week, every year for the past 25 years. That is how much heat we have put into the oceans. And it matters because hotter oceans expand and melt ice, raising sea levels. They alter weather circulation on land, intensifying the water cycle. And that leads to more severe storms, droughts, and wildfires like we're seeing in Australia right now. And the record-shattering snowfall that buried Newfoundland, Canada over the weekend. Warming oceans harm marine life by disrupting ecosystems that are critical to species that humans and animals rely on for food. In fact, another new study blames the mass die-off of seabirds from California to Alaska in 2015 on record warm ocean temperatures that rippled throughout the ocean food web. You know, somebody really ought to do something about all of this. Well, they're thinking about it, at least. Public campaigns to pressure Wall Street and the banking industry to stop financing fossil fuel projects may actually be working. BlackRock, the world's largest investment fund that manages nearly $7 trillion, is adopting a new investment strategy, selling fossil fuel holdings to focus on projects that support environmental sustainability. Founder and chief executive Larry Fink told investors in a letter, quote, we are on the edge of a fundamental reshaping 
of finance. The evidence on climate risk is compelling investors to reassess core assumptions about modern finance. Well, take your time, investors. What's the rush? Climate concerns are also pervasive in the annual gathering of the world's wealthy and corporate elites at the World Economic Forum that's getting underway in Davos, Switzerland this week. For the first time in its 15-year history, the environment and climate change filled all top five spots in the conference's annual risk report of concerns. In advance of the conference, computer giant Microsoft announced an ambitious goal to be carbon negative by 2030 in all of its operations. Carbon negative means actually removing carbon from the atmosphere, which will require development of new technologies that don't actually exist yet. In an interview with CNBC, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said that the coming damages from climate change threaten capitalism itself. The capitalist system that we all enjoy, I think, will fundamentally be in jeopardy if the planet, which is the resource, the factor of production that has fueled all of our capitalist society, will be in danger. Finally, there was a major setback in the U.S. courts. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday rejected a lawsuit brought by 21 children and young adults against the U.S. government for violating their constitutional rights in failing to take action on climate change. While the judges all agreed that climate change is an urgent problem and the government understands the scale of the damages, they nonetheless ruled that climate policies must come from the executive and legislative branches. However, in a blistering dissent, Judge Josephine Statton wrote, quote, it is as if an asteroid were barreling toward Earth and the government decided to shut down our only defenses. Seeking to quash the suit, the government bluntly insists it has the absolute and unreviewable power to destroy the nation. And apparently the judiciary can do nothing about it, according to this ruling. The Climate Kids plan to appeal. Keep fighting, kids. We need you. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. What does it say that we are relying on 12 and 13-year-olds to save life on this planet itself, Desi Toyin? <laughs> it says we're in trouble. We need to it get moving. It says we are in trouble, and we do need to get moving. we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made available by those of you who help support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, We are 100% listener supported, so my thanks to all of you listeners uh, who help keep us going every day throughout these continuing nightmares. Well, the (laughs) nightmares will continue tomorrow. You can find me before then on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog, or you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. For now, that is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.